this house the walls i built myself with all these different thoughts running through my mind 
You've been knocking at the door again It's been a while since I've opened it And all you really want is this heart of mine So why am I hesitating? What am I trying to hide? And why do I keep on waiting When I know it's on the other side? It's time to let the light in, let the light in What's on me? Break the silence, break the silence Cause I've been one fight, I one fight I think it's time, I think it's time to Let the light in Open my heart to feel The only love I know that's real I want your voice of truth to be Good to see you. My name's Steve. Would you stand up? Uh, we're going to worship God for a few moments here, spend some time singing to him about what he has done through the work of Jesus Christ.
Good morning. Welcome to Capital City Christian Church. My name is James Driver. I am a member here. And if you're visiting with us on behalf of all the members of Capital City Christian Church, we're really glad that you're here. And we hope that your day is wonderful worshiping God. We want to share a couple of announcements with you today. Um, If you've been a part of the series, if you've been listening to Doc and how he has been providing the evidence for the existence of God, who Jesus is, And think to yourself, I would really like to know more about having this relationship with God. Immediately following the service, we have a connections room where you can go and just ask some basic questions about God, about Jesus, about baptism. We're going to see several of those here today. Um, And so if you have any of those questions, we encourage you to come on over, uh, meet some staff, ask your questions, and just get started with us. Also, we want to let you know on May 5th, beginning at noon, there will be an Oasis lunch for our builders and boomers. They basically come out, share in a meal, and play some games. Uh, So come on out and enjoy that time of fellowship. Now we want to play a game. Have you ever played two truths and a lie? Some of you have? Okay, so here's how the game goes. You're going to see... Three things. Two of them are true. One of them is a lie. And I will be the first contestant. Now, some of you know me. Some of you don't. So you might want to turn to somebody and say, who is this guy and which one is true or false? So here's what we're going to do. Here are three things about me. Was I a ranked tennis player in the state of Florida? Did I sell waterbeds to help pay for college? Or did I play guitar and was a backup singer in a cover band in my 20s? You have 10 seconds to think it this through. You may talk with one another. There we go. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. If you think number one is a lie, yell out. 
do I not look like I could be ranked? What is wrong with you? If you think number two is a lie, speak out. Okay? And number three, if you think three is a lie, whoop out. Uh-huh. All right. So, the lie is number three. Yeah, I was ranked. All right. It doesn't matter. I was in the book. Jeez. All right. Contestant number two will be Jesus. Jesus is our second contestant. Here are three things about Jesus. One of them is a lie. Is it number one? Jesus was one of only three people in the entire Bible who fasted for 40 days. Or is it number two? Jesus was an only child. Or number three? Jesus claimed to be God. Now, if you've been listening to Doc, number three is a truth. So now you have to choose between one and two. Let me ask, if you think number one is a lie, yell out. Wow. All right. If you think number two is a lie, yell out. All right. You're correct unless Steve did this, and I, I brought this up to him, but wasn't Jesus the only begotten? He was. So it could also be true, but yes, he did have some brothers, right? He had a family. But here's what we're here to do today. We're here to worship Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. Let's stand and worship.
coming here today to make that profession of Jesus Christ as their Lord and their God. Would you all repeat after me? I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the, Christ the Son of the living God, the Son of the living God and I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. 
Lord, on the basis of your profession of faith, I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the remission of your sins and the gift of God's Holy Spirit. Are you ready? Savior, I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the remission of your sins and the gift of God's Holy Spirit. You ready to go?
brought us into this room today, the one who has given us hope and life, a family, salvation, a purpose. We can go on and on and on and on. And as we get to witness the start of this new journey that these people have, these brothers and sisters have today, God, we are reminded again of when we first started on this journey. When we had our own struggles, we had our own addictions and problems and you didn't say come be perfect first and then I'll change you you said I'm going to change you myself and I'm going to love you through every change I'm going to love you through everything that you that you need to be working on because I'm going to be the one that does that God I am so very grateful for Jesus Christ not that he was just this wonderful man who taught us a different way to live but he was you in the flesh he came to this earth and showed us exactly what it was that you wanted out of us. And we were able to see that we couldn't do this on our own. And so that's why we're here. We need you. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness. We're able to together say thank you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. As I was thinking that, as I was praying, I just want you to just close your eyes again and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And maybe you're not an audible person out, out loud, but I mean, the more excited that you are about what Jesus Christ has done, the more often that you should be able to just stop and say that, God, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Because there's no other 
other king throughout history. There's no other savior. There's no other God-like character in all of history who's able to do what Jesus Christ has done. And it's, it's amazing. It's what we want to do when we come together every time is to celebrate not a, this thing that seems victorious on the outside. It seems very terrible. His death on a cross is what we're going to celebrate because we know that there's more to the story than just his death, this death that brings victory. We'd love to be able to tell you all about that. Jesus was not just a good guy. Jesus was God, and he had a plan set in place well before we were even thought of. Jesus Christ came here to this earth to be our sacrifice when we couldn't do it on our own, and that's what we want to celebrate. In a few moments, you get around these tables, you'll be able to take some bread and some juice, and these are reminders, emblems of what Jesus Christ has given up, his body and his blood for each of us. If this place is your home and you want to give an offering, I'm going to say this, and I like to say this every week, please do not give if you feel pressured to give. This is an act of worship that we, we do every week because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We want to say, we want this message given to other people in this world, and that's what we want to try to do with that. If you've got something beyond that offering that you've chosen to bring, there's a white bucket at each of the tables. That's the generous bucket. Be generous to people in need in this community. Be generous to the people that, are, that come to us throughout the week and just say, I need something. All of that goes to them. I want you to know how much God loves you. I think it's just a reminder to every last one of you. The things that God did for you is what brings us into this room today. So if you would, go ahead and stand. Let's go to the tables right now and remember the gift of Jesus Christ.
Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. Let's pray together. Father, we're here this morning to honor you, to thank you again for your grace, to listen again as we always need to be nudged in our life of Jesus following. So give us sharp minds and tender hearts. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Really glad you guys are here. If you're joining us online, glad you're doing that. Hope that this will be an act of worship. We're here because we believe God is here and He wants us to be here. So, I don't want you to take this wrong because I think Georgetown College is a fine school, right, Morgan? And when they offered free tuition to grads from Franklin County, how cool is that? And I'm glad my granddaughter, Morgan, is there. But in some ways, Georgetown is kind of like most of our colleges and universities, even though it has Baptist roots. Our kids are not going there for a Christian education. Morgan had to take a Bible class. How cool is that? And then she showed me their textbook, A Brief Introduction to the New Testament by Bart Ehrman. And I was like, say what? So the textbook for your Bible class is written by a guy who used to be a Christian but is not anymore calls himself an agnostic or an atheist, a little bit of both, doesn't believe the Gospels can be trusted, doesn't believe Jesus ever claimed to be God, doesn't believe the promises Jesus made, no heaven, no hell, but he writes really well, and he sounds really, really smart. So we send our kids off to get educated, and instead they're indoctrinated by those who take pleasure in mocking and undermining the beliefs of those of us who are not as enlightened as they are. Our kids arrive as Christians and too often they leave as agnostics or atheists. 
which kind of reminds me of one of the harsher things Jesus said. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it'd be better off to have a millstone hung around their necks and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Well, Morgan is Papa's baby doll. She's one of God's little ones, right? Now, what I'm going to talk about this morning may bore some of you guys silly. As most of you guys who have been around here realize I'm not much of a preacher. I'm more of a teacher even when I try to preach. But this is going to be worse than usual. I'm going to be way more teacher than preacher this morning. And some of you guys are going to probably be kind of like, I'm not sure I need to know this stuff. And I hope you don't. But Morgan does. And the rest of our college kids need to know this stuff. And our high school kids who are about ready to go to college. And you parents whose kids are going to be assigned textbooks like that one. And you grandparents who I hope are as passionate for the spiritual vitality of your grandkids as anything else. Maybe you need to know this stuff too. The rest of you guys, you're going to hear attacks on your faith when you surf the internet. Turn on the TV during Easter week or watch movies like The Da Vinci Code. Or have neighbors or colleagues who are drifting away from God. Maybe this stuff will help you too. In fact, even if you're not a Jesus follower and you're not sure about Jesus yet, maybe you need to hear some of this stuff too. Because guys, it's a different world now. A way different world than the one that we old guys grew up in. And the spiritual questions that our kids are going to be asked are going to be different than the ones we old guys were asked. And what our kids need to know to have a rock-solid faith in God is going to be in some ways different than what we needed to know. Now, have you ever noticed how our culture tends to make rock stars out of those who are weird? Weirder you are, the bigger your audience, more tickets you can sell. Kind of like that. You turn on the TV during the weeks leading up to Christmas or Easter, and you're going to get all these weird specials on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel about God, usually featuring some crazy scholars who've discovered that the Bible got it all wrong, right? And they'll have one or two more traditional guys on there to provide balance, but it's the weird guys who get the attention. Somehow they've discovered the hidden truths of Jesus and Mary Magdalene or Jesus and Judas or Jesus and the Zealots, truths that the church has suppressed for centuries, they claim. They might talk about the lost gospels, the gospels which were repressed and hidden by the church. Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Peter, Gospel of Judas, Gnostic gospels. <laughs> I hear that stuff and I chuckle. Lost Gospels? Really? Hidden by the church? Really? Maybe I found them because they're down on my shelf if you want to come look. Won't take you long reading them to figure out why we don't take them seriously. And then if you surf the internet, you can find support for any wild and crazy doubt you ever had about God, and you can find seeds for all kinds of new ones. You don't have to be rational to get a bunch of likes on the internet. You just have to be edgy, slick, and weird. The more irreverent you are, the more followers you get. And so those who live there will encounter a steady barrage of attacks against Jesus and Jesus followers and 
celebrations of those who walk away. It's a different world, guys. It's not just what was Jesus really like. Now, a whole lot of people are like, maybe there never was a real Jesus. I mean, there were a few of those hyper-cynical doubters around when we were kids, but not too many. But despite the silliness of the question, historically, it's becoming mainstream. Washington Post, December 18, 2014, right before Christmas, that's when these things tend to come out. Did the historical Jesus really exist? The evidence just doesn't add up. Really? It says there are clearly good reasons to doubt Jesus' historical existence. Seriously? Have they actually examined the evidence? Salon, five reasons to suspect that Jesus never existed. It says a growing number of scholars, right, are openly questioning or actively arguing against the historicity of Jesus. And I'm telling you guys, calling these guys scholars is way over generous. BBC, Jesus, not a real person, many believe. And they go on to tell us that 40%, 40% of the people in England do not believe Jesus was a real person, according to a survey by the Church of England. According to the ABC, the Australian Broadcast Company, December 23rd, 2021, five months ago, right before Christmas, they said less than half of all Australians believe that Jesus was a real historical person. Holy cow. Now it says this is bad news for Christianity, especially at Christmas, no kidding. But they go on to say it's also bad news for historical literacy. <laughs> no kidding. Because it says this reported majority view is simply not shared by the overwhelming consensus of university historians who actually specialize in Roman and Jewish worlds of the first century. No kidding. It's amazing what people choose not to believe. So some guys are out there claiming that there never was a historical Jesus. Some guys are out there claiming that the church has suppressed all of the documents that reveal the real Jesus. Listen, guys, the documents are not lost. They're not hidden. They just don't stack up historically. We've known they were there for centuries. They were written decades and sometimes centuries after Jesus by people with an agenda. It's obvious. Serious historians just don't take them seriously as history. And then there are others, a growing number actually, who admit that a real Jesus lived they just won't admit that the real Jesus ever actually claimed to be God in a bod. Matthew and Mark and Luke and especially John. The Jesus stories in our New Testament all got it wrong, they say. Apostle Paul got it wrong. James and Jude, the brothers of Jesus, Peter, his lead disciple, they all got it wrong, they say. Somehow, for some reason, the early Christians took this controversial Jesus rabbi, or Jewish rabbi, and they elevated him into a god, go figure. In fact, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they say, probably didn't write Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. They were probably written later, way later, by people who didn't even know the real historical Jesus, according to guys like Bart Ehrman, who wrote the textbook. My granddaughter's using at Georgetown in her Bible class. 
Maybe the real Jesus never actually claimed to be God. Maybe you don't have to choose between calling Jesus an evil liar, a maniacal lunatic, or the Lord God himself, because maybe the historical Jesus never actually claimed to be God himself, Ehrman says. Really? Guys, it's a different world, way different than the one we old guys grew up in. I mean, there was a time when you could talk to a person about Jesus just by opening a Bible and showing them what it says, and they're like, oh. Because whether you were a Jesus follower or not, we all pretty much assumed that the Bible was the Bible, it was acceptable, reliable, authoritative. Not so much anymore. If you want to talk to a person about Jesus and you open your Bible, they're just as likely to say, so? What makes that old book acceptable and reliable and authoritative for me? Even if it's true for you, why does it have to be true for me? Well, guys, that's what I want to talk about for just a few minutes this morning. Was there really a Jesus of history? And did the real Jesus of history actually claim to be God? Can the stories of Jesus in our Bible and can the testimony of the early Jesus followers be trusted? Bottom line, was Jesus really the most devilish liar ever, the craziest lunatic ever, or God himself as he claimed to be? Or did these early Jesus followers just make that all up? Now here it is. It is ludicrous to suggest historically that Jesus never existed historically. I mean, even Bart Ehrman is going to tell you that Jesus existed historically. He wrote a book on it. In fact, we have more evidence for the historicity of Jesus than for nearly any other person in history. The evidence is overwhelming for people who actually study it. Multiple eyewitnesses, multiple written records that date even to the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, extensive accounts by his followers who were willing to die for him. We have references to Jesus by his enemies. We have references to Jesus by just those who are neutral historians. One historian lists 39 different ancient sources that document the life of Jesus. 39. To put that into perspective, we have nine different ancient sources that mention Tiberius Caesar, the ruler of the Roman Empire, when they crucified Jesus. There's way more evidence for historical Jesus than there are for guys like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. Greatest Roman historian of that time was a guy named Tacitus. And he's the one who tells us that Nero attacked the Jesus followers for blaming them for the great fire of Rome about 35 years after Jesus. Tacitus tells us that this guy Jesus was executed during the reign of Tiberius Caesar by a Roman governor named Pontius Pilate. No kidding. A few years later, there was a Roman governor by the name of Pliny. We call him Pliny the Younger to distinguish him from Pliny the Older, right? He's puzzled because he's supposed to be persecuting these Christians and he can't figure out why. He says these Christians assemble on a fixed day every week, Sunday, like this, to sing hymns to their Jesus, their Christ, as to a God, and to swear to live God-honoring lives. And they don't seem so dangerous. 
few years later, a Greek writer by the name of Lucian of Samosata, he liked writing about superstition and religion and stuff like that. He talked about us Jesus followers who worship this crucified guy as our God. He said, we treat each other like family and we refuse to honor the gods of Greece, only our Christ. Now these guys aren't Christians, but they knew there was a Jesus. I mean, even the Jews wrote about Jesus. Greatest Jewish historian of that time was a guy named Josephus. He writes about James, the brother of the so-called Christ. He writes about the historical Jesus. He calls him a wise man who worked miracles, who claimed he was the Messiah, crucified by Pilate, and according to his followers, raised on the third day. Even the Jewish Talmud, their book of law, mentions the historical Jesus. They hated him. It says, on the eve of Passover, this Yeshu, Jesus, was hanged, sort of. It says, for 40 days before the execution took place, a herald cried, this Jesus is going forth to be stoned because he's practiced sorcery and has enticed Israel to apostasy. Yeah, right. Because if you're not going to bend your knees to Jesus, you have to think something like that about him. Devilish liar, maniacal lunatic. H.G. Wells, a brilliant agnostic, atheist, historian. He says, I'm a historian, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. And guys, you can get to that conclusion without ever going to the eyewitnesses. And we have multiple eyewitness accounts of Jesus. These were not stories passed from generation to generation, getting better with every retelling. They're eyewitness accounts. They're not just rumors circulating without corroboration. Multiple eyewitnesses who are so certain that they're willing to die for their story. Luke, Gospel of Luke, opens up his gospel like this. He says, So many others have tried their hand at putting together a story of the wonderful harvest of Scripture and history that took place among us using reports handed down by the original eyewitnesses who served this word with their very lives. So I've investigated all the reports in close detail starting from the story's beginning and I've decided to write it all out for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt the reliability of what you were taught. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke about a real man who fulfills Scripture and he writes it at a time when so many of the eyewitnesses are still alive. The Apostle John put it like this. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, God, guys, whom we've actually seen and heard. We saw him with our eyes. We touched him with our hands. We heard him. We saw him. We touched him. He is the word of life, John says. This one who was life itself was revealed to us, and we've seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we have actually seen and heard. Eyewitness testimony, guys. Apostle Paul put it like this. He said, I passed on to you what was most important, 
what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just like the Scripture said. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, just like the Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter. He was seen by the twelve eyewitnesses. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, eyewitnesses, most of whom are still alive. You can still go talk talk to him, he says. Because some have died. Then he was seen by James, his brother, and later by all the apostles. And last of all, though I had been born at the wrong time, I saw him, Paul says. Eyewitnesses, hundreds of them. And not a one recanted to the death. Now, you'll hear people tell you that the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, well, technically, they don't say they were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So maybe, maybe they were written later on by guys who were not eyewitnesses, who kind of embellished the stories, especially John. Maybe whoever wrote John kind of turned this controversial rabbi into a god. Maybe the real Jesus never actually claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe the real Jesus never actually promised to give you life after death. Maybe the real Jesus never actually claimed to be God, they'll say. But did you know that all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are rather easily dated historically to the time of the Apostles? And did you know that the next generation of Christian leaders, to a man, credited these Gospels to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And did you know that we have copies of these Gospels, copies of them, written within 25 years of the time they were written? And did you know that not a single copy of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John is attributed to anyone other than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Every copy we have, boatloads of them, Every copy we have is credited to one of these four guys. Guys are just looking for a reason. They're looking for an excuse. It is skepticism pushed beyond the point of absurdity. Matthew, Mark, John, they're eyewitnesses. Luke interviewed the eyewitnesses. Peter was an eyewitness. James was an eyewitness. Jude was an eyewitness. Paul was an eyewitness. So what are you going to do with the Jesus they revealed to us. You're going to hear people speculate that the Jesus followers just borrowed snips from the stories of other gods in their world and applied them to the story of Jesus. And it's going to sound smart and sophisticated until you actually examine the evidence. The myths and the legends that predate Jesus are just too different. The Jesus story is too different. And there wasn't time. It takes centuries, guys, for myths to mature. And the stories of Jesus were told by eyewitnesses from the first. Guys like Bart Ehrman, they'll tell you that the last books written, books like John, well, by the time John was writing, they had turned Jesus into a god, but not the earliest books so much. Earliest gospels like Mark, they don't make Jesus into a god, they'll tell you. Because the real Jesus would never make you choose between liar, lunatic, and Lord. So maybe it's perfectly rational for us to blow Jesus off as just a great teacher, courageous, controversial rabbi, but no more. They'll tell you. Guys, it's not just John that elevates Jesus into a God. 
It's not just the last of the Jesus stories, it's there from the very first. Jesus claimed to be God. Claimed to be our God. I'll show you very quickly. I mean, most Bible scholars think that Mark is the earliest of the four Gospels, written no more than 20 or 30 years after Jesus died. Hundreds of eyewitnesses still around. According to the early Christians, Mark was telling the story of Peter, of Jesus. And Peter was there. Matthew was there too, and he tells you exactly the same stories. So in the Gospel of Mark, written only 20, 30 years after Jesus, one time Jesus gets into a boat across the Sea of Galilee. It's evening and a storm comes up and the storms on that sea could be vicious and their boats weren't the kind of ones that you'll see on Deglius Catch or Wicked Tuna, right? Disciples were panicked. Jesus is not. He's asleep in the back of the boat, although I kind of wonder whether Jesus was fake sleeping, you know? kind of chuckling to himself like, wait, let him wake me up. This is going to be fun. Anyway, they wake him up shouting. You don't whisper in a storm. And they're like, teacher, do you care? We're going to drown. I don't know what they expected Jesus to do about it. I mean, they're the fishermen. They're the guys who are experts with the boat. But according to the eyewitnesses who'd go to their death swearing that this is true, Jesus turns to the winds and the waves and he does this. And they shushed. Immediately, there was a great calm, according to these eyewitnesses. Did you know that according to their Bible, our Old Testament, only God can control the winds and the waves? Psalmist said, He, God, calmed the storm to a whisper. Waves became quiet. The disciples recognized that Jesus was playing God. Two chapters later, Mark chapter 6, the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee again and they're struggling against the wind and the waves. Maybe not quite so fierce this time. And this time Jesus is not in the boat. Instead he comes walking, walking on top of the water towards them and it says he intended to walk right on past. Why would it say that? Why would he intend to walk right past them? Maybe, you know, when God showed up to Moses and to Elijah in the Old Testament, he walked past them so he could give them a glimpse just like Jesus was doing. And they're terrified. No kidding. Did you know that they actually believed in that time that if a man actually saw God unveiled, that man would die? So Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am. And that's all he said, I am. Did you know that I am was their name for God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the I am? Here's Jesus out on that water playing God, right in the stories of the earliest Jesus followers. One more. Three chapters later, still in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus takes Peter and James and John. Remember, Mark is telling Peter's story of Jesus, and Peter was there. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John onto a mountain, and it's kind of like he pulls down the veil so they can see who he really claims to be. And it says Jesus' appearance is transformed, and his clothes become supernaturally white. And then it says Moses and Elijah show up. 
Moses and Elijah. Remember, Moses had been dead for 1,200 years. Elijah's been dead for about 900 years. And in the Old Testament, both of these guys had been given a glimpse of God, but they were not permitted to look at his face. And there they are with Jesus, looking into the unveiled face of God. The eyewitnesses say, this cloud appeared above them, and they heard this voice, this is my son. This Jesus is my son, whom I love. Now listen to him. You actually think the gospel of Mark portrays Jesus as anything less than God? Goes on to talk about him forgiving sins, casting out demons, doing all other kinds of God stuff. The Son of God, God in a bod from the first. Guys, he is either the most devilish liar who ever lived, the craziest lunatic who ever lived, or he is God. And all of them, all of those earliest Jesus followers, that question was decided once and for all when he predicted his own death and his own resurrection, and then he pulled it off. And guys, if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'd listen to him. Listen, guys, Jesus changed the lives of guys like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and James and Jude and Paul and hundreds of others, then thousands of others, then millions of others, then billions, and he's still doing it. You saw it minutes ago in this room. Are you going to let him change you? Because, guys, Jesus didn't come here to be liked. He came here to be God, Right? So let's borrow from the skeptics. Let's move from, oh, to so? So what? What difference does it make? What difference should Jesus make for you? Guys, if Jesus really is God and Abad, are you treating him that way? Are you wrapping your life around him, around the God who loves you so much that he sent his own son to die for you? And he deserves that, you know. And it's worth it for now and for forever. And if you're not treating Jesus as a God, why not? You're still not convinced? Really? Maybe you just don't want it to be true. Maybe you're afraid of the cost. It's hard to let anyone be your boss, right? Even God. But guys, he's God and he's good. And he'll only make our lives better, both for now and for forever. Remember, guys, Jesus didn't come here to be liked. He came here to be our God. And he is not, the real Jesus is not someone who can just be liked. You either love him or you hate him. You bend your knees or you go to war. Guys, I believe that the Holy Spirit has already convicted you of his truth. But he leaves it to us to respond. He won't force himself on us. If you want to talk about being a Jesus follower, I'm going to sit right up here, here for the next part of this service. Just come on down and let's talk or go to the back prayer room. We've got an elder in there praying for you right now. Come down here after the service and let's talk. If you want to talk about making Capital City your home, I'd love to talk about that too. Come chat with one of us. Let's pray to God together. Father, for Jesus, we give you thanks. Give us the wisdom and the courage to stand tall as Jesus followers. Give us the lightness in our life.
that you want us to experience. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Yeah.
your heart to God. Now, as we get ready to leave, you know, it's our service part that we take out into the community, that we want everyone to know that we love them. So we've been doing some nudges. We've been nudging the community with different ways to let them know of the love of Christ. And so what we want to do, May is also the time of Mother's Day, and we, we honor our mothers. But, you know, there, there are moms out there that, that are struggling. Maybe, maybe someone has recently lost a mom. Maybe someone has lost a child. Maybe someone has been trying to have a child and, and they're depressed. What we want to do in the month of May is if we can as a church send out a thousand cards to different moms and moms figures to let them know that we love them. We even have cards that, that you can take with you to send to them. Because what we want to do is we want to nudge them, nudge them toward God with expressing our love and our comfort to them. So we want to do that in the month of May, and we hope that, that you will join us as we attempt to reach out and, and to love, to serve our God by loving. And also, lastly, what we want to let you know is that, yep, Mother's Day is next Sunday. So if you have a mom or a mom figure that you would like to recognize 
if you would send that information to Billy Joe with the name, a title, and you know, maybe a little, little something about them, that would be awesome because we want to honor our moms. We are appreciative of them and everything that they've done. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for all that you do for us. We thank you that you chose to love us before we ever loved you, that you have pursued us, that you want us, that you want a relationship with us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we take the love that you've given us and we take it out and give it to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.